This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the State of Health, the podcast where patients put healthcare decision makers and thought leaders in the hot seat. I'm Gunnar Esiason. Today's show carries on the antibiotic resistance series. So far, you've heard from a patient advocate about living with an antibiotic resistant infection, politicians who are trying to fix the market disincentives at the heart of the crisis, and an investor putting money into companies with the hope that policymakers can make antibiotic development sustainable. Past episodes in the antibiotic resistance series are already in your feed. Today, we head to the cutting edge to learn about emerging antibacterial technologies getting developed in academic labs with the hope that patients can access new options soon. Dr. Ben Chen is a bacteriophage researcher in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Yale University in the laboratory of Professor Paul Turner. His research focuses on the development and creation of virulence targeting antibiotics and resistance targeting antibiotics for the treatment of bacterial infections refractory to traditional antibiotic therapy. Also joining us today is Ella Balassa, a patient advocate, consultant, and person living with cystic fibrosis who advocates for the development of novel therapies for the treatment of antibiotic-resistant infections, including phage therapy. We're going to learn how a chance meeting led to Ella being one of the first American cystic fibrosis patients to dose phage therapy as a treatment for her antibiotic-resistant infection and what it means for the future of phage therapy in the United States. Let's talk about the state of phage therapy. All right, Ellen, Ben, thanks for thanks for coming on uh, coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. So I'd love to know uh, how did you guys meet uh, initially? Well, uh, I guess I can I can start. I was actually it was by coincidence and by by fate by chance that. Um, I was actually contacted by, so I do some writing um, uh, as part of my advocacy work, um, and I was contacted by a company that was doing a documentary on a patient that was receiving phage therapy um, in Texas, and so they asked if I might write a synopsis of what living with CF was like to accompany this piece, and so they sent me the video right before it was published, um, and I viewed it and I was mind blown uh, because I had heard of, I mean, I have a science background, so I had heard of phage, but never knew it to be something that was actually viable that somebody with CF was actually being treated with it. Um, and by that point, I had been dealing with pretty resistant infections for a number of years, already trying to find alternatives. Of course, there has been nothing but traditional antibiotics. And so I immediately reached out to Ben um, after I saw his name in the video and asked if this was something that I could partake in and, and possibly try. Ben, I've got to know from your end, was that, was that unique to be just contacted out of the blue by, by patients? 
Uh, no, happens like a lot, um, like today even, um, like twice. Um, so yeah, it happens all the time and it's great and it was cool. Um, I had to look up the date. It was November 26, 2018 um, <laughs> that, that we sort of met digitally. And then I guess in January, was it when we met in person? Yeah, it was mid-January is when I actually received treatment. But in that time, you know, we were communicating quite a bit about, um, you know, how the, the logistics of how it would happen, you know, sending sputum cultures to you to analyze, to, to find phage. And then also for me as a patient to understand more about what I was delving into, what I was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So Ella, I want to hear from your end. I've, I've already described it um, to some of my guests on, on the show. And we, we, of course, Emma was on the podcast a couple weeks ago and she also described it, but what does it mean to be living with a highly resistant infection? Yeah, it is, it's very scary and it's very frustrating because um, I, and you know this yourself too, Gunnar, that we, we try to do everything we can for our health um, keeping up with every breathing treatment, trying to exercise, do it all, but it, it sometimes it's just still not enough. And these infections just take hold and cannot be stopped. And for a long time, you know, I was getting antibiotic treatments that were effective. And they were, as soon as I started, you know, an IV course, it would stop, it would stop the infection in its tracks and then reduce it and then I would be better. Um, but as I was starting to experience these infections that were taking longer to have any effect on, uh, where I was, you know, start, I was taking antibiotics or intravenous oral antibiotics for uh, up to a week without any difference or really feeling any different. And then they would kick in. And it's, it's scary to realize that your life is so dependent on uh, treatment that might, that isn't working anymore, that, who knows what the effect will be in the future if that's ever going to if it's going to continue um, to sustain your life, and my whole life bared on that, um, and that's it's it's scary and then also very frustrating, as I said. Yeah, frustration is a good way to, to put it. Um, and I've also said that I think like no one ever wants to be in a position where they have to hear from the doctor that they're quote running out of options, right? That's that's a place where no one ever wants to be. Um, but it seems like it's happening. Uh, it happens quite frequently for, for people with CF, unfortunately, that's, that's a tough thing, but it's also importantly happening to people that also don't live with CF. Um, it's more of a generalizable issue. Um, so you, you talked about meeting Ben, uh, connecting after watching, uh, I have to mention it was the pages phages video that you're referring to. Um, and I'll, link that, in, I'll link that in the show notes. Um, but you seemed eager to want to try uh, phage. Did it seem exciting or scary when you initially reached out to Ben? Um, it seemed exciting uh, at first because it was, I felt that it was another viable option that I was finally coming across something else that could help me more than antibiotics had. Um, and after I had some conversations with Ben and un- understood more about the science of how the phage actually works with my body, how it works with the antibiotics that I also might be receiving at the same time, that synergistic effect. Um, And really I made the decision, it was a decision that I made for myself. It was not with the, you know, the advice of my CF physician, actually, he 
really, in some ways, a little bit discouraged me or really was um, not really involved in it. You know, I, I kind of really pursued it myself. And so I said, like, at first I was very excited. Um, but around in around that month, that December timeframe, um, I also got a really bad exacerbation where I was on antibiotics for a number of weeks and I wasn't seeing any improvement. In fact, I was declining. Um, and then it became more of an urgency, more of like a need where the risk was not that significant, where I felt that the benefit to me um, could really save my life because I was dealing with a resistant infection. I was even resistant to colistin because I was on IV colistin for a number of weeks and was still very, very ill. Um, and so it was at that point more of where I had to try this, where I realized that it was really in some ways a life or death situation. And um, I felt that it was my only option and I was going to take it. So let's define some of those terms for some of our non-CF listeners. Uh, Callistin, for those of you keeping score at home, is really an antibiotic of last resort. Um, this is what it is. And then an exacerbation is a flaring of CF symptoms uh, in really kind of the long and short of it. Um, ben, let's, let's turn this to you for, for a moment. Can you, can you actually tell us what phages are uh, and, and how do they work uh, and, and what's so different uh, about them compared to what we would normally consider an antibiotic? Sure, I can try anyway. Um, so, uh, bacteriophages are the viruses of bacteria, um, and they can like only infect bacteria and like they're super specific, right? So say you have a pseudomonas infection, um, a lot of phages, you know, can infect only a, a few strains of pseudomonas, um, aeruginosa, for example. And so they're really, 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 really host specific, as we say. Um, but they, and they're different than, um, I guess what we call traditional antibiotics and that they, you know, they're a living organism um, and they're, I guess, super narrow spectrum, right? So even narrower spectrum than a lot of these uh, narrow spectrum antibiotics. Um, and they kill in sort of a, a different way than uh, chemical antibiotics and that they infect the bacteria and they replicate and then they just burst and then, you know, hundreds of, of new particles go out to continue the life cycle. So like a self-amplifying and I guess self-limiting in the absence of bacteria drug. So a phage is a, a living organism. How, how is it delivered to a person who's, let's, let's say in this case, inhaling a phage? Sure. Um, so, so yeah, so I guess the, the living organism part, I guess people are split on because it's, you know, a, a virus. And so people are you know, two camps, I guess. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so, but assuming they are like living organisms by whatever definition, um, they're, they're provided to someone that's going to breathe them in um, just in saline, basically, um, and then you nebulize them. So you take the three milliliters or two or 10 or however many milliliters are in the dose, dump it in a nebulizer cup, which is a little, you know, as you guys both know, um, a way to aerosolize uh, particles or drugs um, for inhalation. And so in, in the cases we've treated for pulmonary infection, it's all been nebulized. We're going to take a quick break. The state of health will be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you're, you're not a, a medical doctor, you're a bench scientist. Um, you know, I want to know from your perspective, why should people care about antibiotic resistance? You know, what, um, you know, what, what, what makes you show up to work in the morning? Yeah. Uh, well, um, everyone should be worried about antibiotic resistance, right? It's, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, and you know, a lot of people may think, oh, it doesn't affect me now, but it may be true, but it's, it's going to, in a directly or indirectly um, in the very near future, especially if we don't continue to develop new drugs. Um, so there's a big urgency there, especially given the fact that it takes years and years and years to get a drug from you know concept to clinic. Um, and what gets me going in the day in the lab, uh, wow, it's it's actually really, to be honest, it's the translational medicine bit. Um, it's 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 interacting with um, people that this could really benefit, right? So like Ella, for example, um, I, I love interacting with, with people, um, you know, even just texting, you know, um, not necessarily lab related. Um, it really gets me going because it's like, ah, this is like an idea that's like, you know, feels way out there, but when you use it therapeutically, it like, I don't know, it does something, you know, and it feels like, <laughs> oh my God, it's like, this has meaning. It's like, this is why we do it. Um, and so that's, that's really why I do it. So I, I, I want to push on another technical question here that you sort of mentioned. Um, how, how exactly does phage work when a, you know, a, a strain of bacteria is, is antibiotic resistant? Like what is the magic sauce that allows it to work? Sure. Um, so there's like, that's a couple of things. Um, the one that, that really helps is that it's completely different, right? It's, it's a completely different type of antimicrobial. So it, it, for the most part, doesn't matter how antibiotic resistant something is, there's a phage out there for it, right? So it's something that can work completely independently. However, um, the work we're doing is, is we're trying to work on ways that we can get the phages and antibiotics to work well together, um, and obviously with the immune system, and that we are, because, we, you know, as you know, no matter what you throw out there to try and kill bacteria, eventually resistance will happen, right? Um, as we're seeing now with antibiotics, um, and we will see this with phages. And so what we're doing uh, in the lab is we're, you know, sort of fast forwarding and we're, we're forcing the bacteria to become resistant to these phages. So we know how they become resistant. Um, and, we, and we do it in a way that when the bacteria become resistant, it comes at some cost. For example, it's resensitized to chemical antibiotics, or it's putting out a signal that the immune system can now recognize and kill the bacteria. Um, or, you know, it, it may be something that the bacteria needs for virulence, but not for life, right? So the bacteria is like, okay, I was doing this and causing disease, but if I don't have this, I'm still alive. Uh, it's just not causing disease. So maybe if I can, uh, I guess, reiterate what you're, what you're talking about, or, or maybe construct my own words, you are taking uh, bacteria strains that are maybe resistant to XYZ antibiotic, introducing phage mm-hmm. to it, and then flipping the resistance Mm-hmm. from the antibiotic to the phage so that a patient can then go ahead and use 
antibiotics again that might be sensitive again. Yeah, that's correct. And I think it's especially important because a lot of the, the people we're, we're treating, um, you know, maybe aren't at our institution, right? And so if they have an exacerbation somewhere, you know, they're off, you know, maybe somewhere that doesn't do phage therapy and they have an exacerbation, it'd be nice if they had tools to use, right? And so a lot of these resensitization just allows opportunity to use some of these old antibiotics. And so that's kind of what I'm imagining where Ella, where you fit into the puzzle here. Um, you saw this opportunity opportunity to sort of really get in that, involved in academic medicine. Because again, the things that Ben's cooking up in the lab are, are really just technologies that hopefully one day will become drugs. Ben, I want to I wanna ask, what, what's the, what is the process, right, from turning a technology that is discovered in the lab into a drug? Like, where, where do you fall into this? Sure. So, wow, the whole spectrum, I guess. Um, you know, we find new phages all the time in nature and environment. And then we go through the, the process of, like, you know, finding the individual phage, characterizing it in the lab, you know, knowing how it's killing the bacteria, knowing what the host ranges, so what, you know, percentage of circulating pseudomonas is it killing, um, how those pseudomonas become resistant, how we can benefit clinically um, from these trade-offs. Um, and so we have that characterized phage. And then, so that's sort of the like bench side stuff. And then we approach the FDA when, you know, if there's a case that needs to be treated um, and we present our evidence and, and justification. And then, you know, they either say yes or no. And if they say yes, we go ahead and treat. So we do the full like, you know, environment to bench to bedside uh, spectrum. Of drug now, development. Now, Ella, on, on your side here, you know, my, my understanding is that your experience with this is like a little different than what we would consider like a randomized clinical trial, right? You knew exactly what you were getting. Um, so talk to me about the process of actually making the trek up to Yale uh, to dose one, one of these, you know, highly experimental, uh, you know, projects really that Ben was working on in his lab. Yeah, so I received this treatment through an emergent IND. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, I, I had it, I received it in a clinic setting and I was monitored, um, as one might happen when, you know, someone's receiving a treatment under a clinical trial, um, basically signed a form saying there is no liability that this is all on me if something happens. And, uh, yeah, I was really scared. I was like sitting on that table, um, you know, on the, the clinic bench thing, and I was sweating profusely. Um, I was definitely nervous. Um, you know, it was something that I was like, I was liability was on me. Um, but overall, the process was quite simple. Um, ben did a lot on his end with uh, communicating with the FDA and having, having everything set up. And actually, it could have it could have happened um, at my local CF center here, but my, my physician would have had to been involved in that process and he wasn't comfortable with that. So that is why I had to go up to Yale to receive treatment um, in that case. So I, I got to know, Ben, it was like a scenario where, you know, I'm imagining like the mad scientist across campus in, in New Haven. Um, you know, for anyone who's ever, who's ever been to Yale or been to New Haven, they know that, you know, the Colleges are sort of on one part of the part of the town, and the hospitals in the other part of town. I'm like, I'm imagining you. Uh, I don't know why riding a bike, 
but riding a bike with a biohazard <laughs> box for, you know from from the lab to the hospital is am i characterizing the actual experience that way or is it a little bit more mundane uh in, in the way it actually worked out <laughs> you're you're pretty close actually i although somehow oh it's because it was january that's why i wasn't biking um but yeah basically i just carried the box of foam cooler across campus um otherwise i would have been <laughs> Would have been on a bike. I guess I'm a stereotype of some kind. Um, but yeah, that's how it was. And and also, Ella, sorry about the the terror of the informed consent document. I didn't really have any involvement in the way those things are written, but like when you read them, you're like, oh my God. Like here's the I mean, I guess if you do that for any drug, you like read the possible side effects, it's like you might die, all your hair might fall out. You're like, what? This is just like an antibiotic for a wound or something but like there's a whole list of things it's like well maybe in some weird scenario this will happen so totally get that sorry about that um <laughs> i didn't write it though yeah so. it, it's i mean I, listen, <laughs> I, i've been in i've been in a number of clinical trials myself this sounds very different than anything i've ever done um and it, it certainly i think requires a lot of courage i think for for patients to be the first Definitely. to go through this um yeah. so i you know I, back to you ella did, like you know, you kind of talked a little bit about, you know, you're sweating profusely sitting there on the, on the gurney. Um, you know, did you have a fear about trying a drug that the FDA was, I guess, interested in nothing to allow to go forward, but, you know, it clearly wasn't authorized, um, you know, for, for broad right. use. Well, as I, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, at, at that point in my, at, at the point in January when I received phage, I was already very, very ill with that infection that I was battling. And I felt that I was not going to get better if I didn't try it because of the resistance that I was facing with that infection. And so, yes, it was very terrifying in that I also didn't know whether you know taking phage might just ex exacerbate, might make my condition even worse. Um, where I wasn't near my CF care center, I was at a, at a hospital I'd never been treated at. Um, and it was, it was a very trying time for me too. I was staying in a, in a hotel room, you know, with my mom and we were just, I was doing breathing treatments every few hours. And it was, it was a long, that the day that I was in the clinic was quite long. We actually, it was, it was filmed by the Associated Press. So we did like interviews at the beginning um, and then went into the clinic to do the treatments. And then I had to stay there for a while afterward to make sure I didn't have an adverse uh, reaction to it. Um, and then I, so I received another, another few doses for actually a whole week uh, while I was up there. So it was, it was an extended time, um, but it was worth it. And, and not to mention New Haven in January, not, not, not the most forgiving place in the world. The state of health. We'll be right back. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ben, I, you know, where, where do phages go from here? Um, you know, what, what is the next step for them? 
Uh, and then uh, before we before we do end the show, I need to you know we're all hanging on the edge of our chairs to hear about the outcome. But before we get there, um, for Ella, what <clears throat> what where do phages go from here, uh, and what needs to happen to translate this academic work into something for people more broadly? Sure. So phages go, I guess, everywhere from here, right? Um, first, though, we've got to get clinical trial, right? So I mean like these case single cases are like like great and i think they're very very important um but we got to get through like a you know randomized blind controlled uh clinical trial um and then once once we're through that then i think you know we can go anywhere uh, assuming the outcome is is encouraging from that trial but we really need to do this right you know we need to find out you know if these phages are doing what we think they're doing um, how well they're doing it, um, and if there's a real chance that they could be used clinically. And then if we can see that that's, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt or whatever the case, then, then we go all out um, and, and really uh, make this a, a more normal part of, of treatment. And so, Ella, what, what, there, what, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to quickly add that, you know, there are also the barriers for, of like, a lack of investment and um you know policy barriers too that are you know in some ways preventing novel treatments from being um pursued funded and, and moving into those clinical trial phases um and then also just a, a general lack of public awareness of phage therapy of novel treatments of even antibiotic resistance, of course, as, as this whole series focuses on. Um, so I think there's a lot of other pieces too that um, all fit together and really have to be um, in, in unison to bring phages forward and, and other novel treatments. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point there that um, sort of like the whole impending antibiotic crisis or like the post-antibiotic world that you, know, you hear people talk about. Um, is really like a calamity of errors, right? Like, so like one little piece of the puzzle, um, you know, keeps going wrong, which snowballs and snowballs and snowballs from, you know, policy errors to reimbursement risk to prescribing issues in the hospital. Um, you know, all these things are sort of compounded together to create a scenario where even getting a clinical trials is a hard thing, right? You know, clinical trials aren't, they aren't cheap. They aren't easy to do. They're complex. They're Speaking of living organisms, they're almost like living organisms themselves. Um, there's a lot that goes into uh, process of actually translating um, an academic technology into a therapeutic. Um, but for the, for the sake of listeners, we have to know what was the outcome of uh, the one-off uh, phage uh, trial, the end of one trial that you went through uh, back in was January of 2018 or 2019. When was it? Yeah, 2019, January of 19. Um, so well, it was it was a success. Um, I was then my case was used as a case study by Ben and, and other researchers. And actually, funny story when I was at NACFC, um, there was another researcher that I met there, a phage researcher who um, had read about my case, knew all about it, had worked with um, you know my data, and so it was just really it was really cool um, that I was able to have that effect on the development, you know, on the advancement of phage research. And so it's advanced so rapidly in just these last couple of years. But as far as my case, um, I was able to, shortly after I received phage for that week at a time, so that length, so that length of time a week, 
uh, I was able to clear that acute infection um, within a number of days afterward. So it was a success for me and I would 100% do it again um, and would love the opportunity to do so because, you know, I still, we all still battle these resistant infections despite being on some of these modulator therapies that have um, helped our lives in many ways. And, you know, this is not, this is, these are chronic infections that we continue to need treatment for. Well, I'm glad that worked out for you. And it certainly sounds like there's something uh, cooking in Ben's lab that, that might hopefully uh, be applied more, more broadly. And my one regret is that Ben didn't have to drive the, uh, his bike across campus with the, uh, with the styrofoam box. I think that's my one, my one regret in this whole story, but otherwise this is a, uh, certainly a good case study worth looking at um, because it, it's different than the, the classic chemical antibiotic, right? It's different from what, uh, you know, people consider, um, antibacterial agents that they would pick up from the pharmacy. And I think it's an example of what uh, is going on out there, um, sort of under, you know, not necessarily under the radar, but, you know, under the surface of some of these more broad policy battles that are happening in Washington to sort of correct this market. Um, and it's certainly um, encouraging, to say the least. So uh, Ben and Ella, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. This was, this was really great. Thank you thanks for having, having us. us. Yeah, Appreciate big fan it. of building things with Gunner on Instagram, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check out my Instagram if you want to see me <laughs> DIY things uh, on the weekends. <laughs> but uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, um, we will uh, hopefully get you back on here uh, again soon. Yeah, totally. Thanks. Thanks. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at G17Esiason, and you can check out my website at GunnarEsiason.com. The Antibiotic Resistance Series continues next week. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to The State of Health and then leave a rating and a review. A big thank you to Dr. Ben Chan and Ella Velasa for today's episode. The State of Health is produced by Bob Dwyer. Thanks to Odyssey for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next week.